As a leader in advanced HVAC technologies, Mitsubishi Electric is committed to continuous innovation around efficiency, comfort, and wellness, with a focus on personal comfort and prosperous communities. Mitsubishi offers a variety of indoor options, including high-wall floor mount, duct handlers, and extremely popular one-way ceiling cassette. Climate systems are great for a single room or the entire home, providing 100% capacity to minus 5 degrees. A full range of control options including Wi-Fi, touchscreen, and thermostats, and simple remotes are available to meet every customer's needs. Mitsubishi's regional sales and marketing teams are available to meet with you and help you grow your business. For more information, go to MitsubishiComfort.com. Greg Cagle is a passionate advocate for authenticity, a transformational executive coach, a corporate culture consultant, an author, and a speaker. Leveraging more than 25 years of in-the-trenches experience in building and leading his own companies, Greg comes alongside leaders and guides companies to position them for breakthrough success in building a culture that blows away the competition. Welcome, Greg. Good morning. This is Mark Madison on Books and People. Today, I'm excited about our guest, Greg Cagle. Greg, how are you? Doing great, Mark. Looking forward to this. Oh, me too. You know, we chatted earlier, and, and I don't normally do that, but I was really glad we did. And I didn't want it to end, uh, so this is going to be fun. Yeah, I, I, so, I'm, I'm with you. So you're a speaker, you're a coach, you've written a book. Uh, where, how did it all start? <laughs> Well, you know, I guess a lot of things in life are a result of necessity, right? So I got into um, what I'm doing now, I guess out of necessity, I was, um, I was a fatality of the 2008 financial meltdown. I've been an entrepreneur kind of, I, I actually describe myself as a serial entrepreneur. So since I was 28, I've kind of Started, built, and sold uh, businesses, and um, in 2007, -ish, when the economy started to go south, I had built up a pretty significant business, uh, and I was um, I was in the real estate uh, industry, and you might remember that that was kind of the tip of the sword. Uh, I remember. In terms of, yeah, and so it was not fun, and so for two years, um, I spent just trying to uh, uh, keep from uh, living under a bridge. And when I came out of that, um, I had to reinvent. Um, and uh, what was interesting is the only thing, everything I, I kept coming back to was, you know, all I know is business. It's all I've ever done. So right. I said, well, maybe I'll start talking to people about business. And it just kind of took, took from there. And now you travel 200 days a year or more. Uh, on a, on a non-COVID year. Yes. About two, 200 plus days a year. I'm on the road. I sure am. Yeah, COVID was an interesting interruption to guys like us, gals like us that, you know, travel for a living. And all of a sudden now it's like Zoom. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lord. So uh, what did what did you do? What did you do as, as a youngster? What did you have a passion for? Uh, yeah, so and, I and I'll, and, I'll, and, and I'll explain. Yeah, for me it was basketball. That was my first magnificent obsession. It was all I cared about. It was, I, you know, I slept with a basketball. I, it was everything. Did you have something like that when you were younger? Okay, so you're not going to believe this, Mark. 
when we spoke, you know, when you and I spoke earlier, I, I just kept hearing you tell your story and it was so intriguing to me because it was just, it kind of mirrored mine. So here's the answer. And, and I promise you it's true. Uh, it was basketball. Uh, I, I, I was, to, to your point, I was obsessed with it. I used to lay in the bed at night and just, you know, flip the ball up in the air for hours, just trying to get the spin on the ball and the jump shot and all that. So I, I was a big competitor in sports and I played different sports, but basketball was, was it, it was my passion for sure. Isn't that funny? And then, so what do I do? I end up coaching my kids in AAU 60 games a year for 15 years. Same. <laughs> Three kids in the nationals. My kids played in high school, college, and then overseas. Yeah. And wow. it's not an accident that they're successful in business and life. And, and I think that's a, that's a common denominator. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, the you know the the work ethic and the competitive nature of sports, I think, prepares you for life in a very good way. One of the things that that I think gets overlooked, though, is this this you know your self esteem and your self worth is built over time when you set your sights on something and you go do the work that it takes to get there. Right. And, and when you do that, there's an adrenaline rush that just it sticks with you for the rest of your life. And you just decide that that's, you know, I, that's what I want to do. And and so whatever you do in life, if you take that kind of work ethic in there and that uh, it, 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 it translates for sure. The greatest reason for setting a goal is who you have to become in order to get there. Oh, that's good. I got to write that down and steal it. Well, I think I borrowed it from Jim Rohn, but uh, you know. <laughs> Mr. Rohn, you messed up. <laughs> Love that guy. Oh, what a, I mean, this so much of, uh, of what he taught and what he spoke about is still just, it's timeless. It's still relevant and always will be. Yeah. I heard him speak in 1994 and I bought everything he had. I spent $400. And I immersed myself in his information for a year. And, you know, I, I just came on the other side with different. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I've been really blessed. So that's a nice segue into who are your mentors? Who are the people that made a difference in your life? It's, uh, that's a really interesting question. And, uh, you know, I get, I get asked that a lot and I'm, I almost feel guilty because my answer isn't as profound as, maybe others. Um, I, I had two mentors in my life and, and it was my grandfather and my father. Oh, wow. And, and it was, um, my, my grandfather was a farmer. And so there's just so much wisdom in all of that, being a farmer and being at the mercy of a good season or a bad season and uh, all that. And I learned so much from him and he taught me so much. And then that was just extended into my relationship with my father who, um, you know, he just, he really just, he taught me two things. He said, be the kind of man that you would want to be friends with and um, make sure that you understand that you're not here just for you. There's value to be added and you got to figure out what that is. Uh, and it, it's on you to discover it. But if you're not having a ripple effect, you're probably not going to be satisfied. And boy, I tell you that, that those words are so true, even at my, my age today. So I'd have to say my father and my grandfather. Wow. A, I'm really jealous because I had to go outside my family to find my mentors. And B, that's just great advice. Mm -hmm. And there's not a day goes by. You don't wish you could have one more day with either of them, I'll bet. 
Oh, every day. Uh, in fact, I this was so funny that you brought that up. So about three days ago, I was facing a, a, a pretty significant decision that I was thinking about, and I thought the impact of it might be uh, uh, might be enough to to slow down and consider it. And and I found myself literally talking to my father in my head. Yeah. And uh, and and <laughs> and, and work through it with him. <laughs> Every afternoon, I have a cup of Tetley tea, and that's uh, for me, Mom. Mm. Right? My mother's still alive and well. Every time I have a cup of tea, she's with me. That's awesome. Yeah, it's you know they're never really gone. They're they're a part of us, and uh, I, I had to find people like Teddy Roosevelt in books, and John Wooden, and uh, Charlie Jones, and Bob Moat. I had to find these. I had to reach out and find these men that had what I wanted. Uh, did, did you have a did you have a relationship with John Wooden by chance? I heard him speak in 1993. I have oh. a relationship with Swen Nader, who played for John Wooden for years and years, or you know, for three years, and then of course he they talked every day. Yeah, but I hired Swen to work with my boys, and Swen and I have become good friends. Oh and, wow! But I heard Wooden speak in '93, and I asked him two questions: What do you miss about coaching? And uh, what what book you know really inspired you he said other than the bible and i said well sure and he said magnificent obsession by lloyd c douglas so i immediately went out and read it bought a copy read it devoured it and then i wrote freedom from fear it inspired me to write my first book no kidding yeah so indirectly you know john wooden's uh responsible for freedom from fear and and uh you, you know, did okay with the book, didn't yeah, you? yeah sold a couple hundred thousand <laughs> copies <laughs> translating to 10 languages uh, it's a bathroom book though you can read it in four sittings greg if you don't mind your legs going numb so, <laughs> yeah. okay, there, there's an image i could have done without mark i know that's just i'm sorry i say that all the time so when we were talking earlier you, you were talking about culture and a sense of belonging and and i have this belief that every single employee is asking three questions about their organizational life is it safe here do mm -hmm. i belong and do i have a future Mm -hmm. uh, would you expound on your philosophy and attitude about uh, belonging? I know you do a lot of coaching and you do a lot of speaking on the subject. I, I, I do. And that's what compelled me to, to write the book, because in my work with leaders in, um, I have found that there's a, there was a common theme. They, they all wanted to <clears throat> have this um, high performing organization. They wanted uh, frontline obsession from their employees. They wanted, uh, to outperform their competitors and, and, and widen the gap. Uh, right. Unfortunately, what I found was is they, they were looking at the wrong things. And, and as I started working with them and coaching with them and even getting inside their organization sometimes as a consultant, I tried to help them understand, listen, <clears throat> you can't be everywhere all the time in real time. And, and, and so what leads in your absence is culture. And if you have to understand that culture gives people a sense of tribal belonging and there's an, there's something inside of us, Mark, and I'd love to get your, actually like to get your opinion on this. I think all of us have two very, very deep desires. One is to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves and right. to know that we were part of that. We are part of a, a, a something significant and we contributed to uh, something bigger than ourselves and then the, the the other thing is tribal belonging yeah and you're talking about connection 
Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> hey, I'm the guy asking the questions here, pal. I know, but you've got all the good answers. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Uh, I, my high school basketball coach said we were in the stands one day and this this young lady named Molly Hills was, was a freshman and she had like 25 points in this game. She was just lighting it up. I said, man, that girl can shoot. He said, yeah, she's a lot like you where you never met a shot you didn't like. <laughs> uh, I never met a conversation or a question I didn't like. So, yeah, I, you know, my belief is this. If you're going to take the organization to the next level, and I mean where people are engaged, Charles Garfield wrote a book called Peak Performance, and he talked about he was a part of the Apollo project uh, where they put a, an unmanned spacecraft on the moon. And he said he watched, uh, you know, highly educated master's degrees and PhDs, but they were kind of in a mediocre lockstep. Mm. But what changed them was the mission. And every night, he said, they would walk outside and look up at the moon. And that would inspire them. That motivated them, mm. knowing that that was the goal. And he said he watched, he watched this average group of people transform into superstars. And then when the mission was over, he saw them go back to mediocre again. And that phenomenon you know, freaked him out, first of all. And then secondly, it was a rocking issue. And he said, I'm, I have to figure out why that is and how to solve that problem. So that's what he got his PhD in. And the, the book, it's been, I don't know, it's like 30 years old. It's, it's an old book, but it, but it really, it speaks to that. Can you find your moon, mm. right? There, there has to be something that's emotionalized and it has to be a big reason. It has to be an emotionalized reason for what you're doing. And, uh, and, and that's hard. It's elusive. It's a will of the wisp for some organizations. Mark, some of them never find it. You know, they pay well, they have great benefits. But I also believe that, that everybody's looking for three things, appreciation, respect, and understanding. And there's no getting around that. And if you don't, whether it's your children, your friends, or your, or your employees, if you're not doing a great job in, the, in those three areas, you're falling <laughs> short. Yeah, I, you use the word emotionalized. Is that a word? That, that, if it isn't, it should be. I make words up. I, I love it because um, I tell leaders all the time that they tend to think that um, people are motivated by stretch goals and that people are motivated to achieve, uh, go beyond their best past performance and all of that stuff. And they are. The, the problem is business is all about uh, sustainability. You, you got, you know, you got to execute on your strategy, but, but adversity is going to hit and you got to have the adaptability to get through adversity. And then there's always unexpected opportunities that present themselves. And so you have to have the agility to act on those. So it's a sustained thing. And I am 100% in agreement with you, Mark, people, if you want people to sustain a high level of commitment and effort and performance there has to be an emotional connection and it's interesting that you talked about that book you know you know finding your moon because i tell leaders all the time when we're, when we're culture mapping that's what i do i say let's build our culture map because you can have a culture it's by design or by default so let's go ahead and design ours and let's design one we love and the first thing that i tell them is i said listen we gotta we gotta let people know 
What is the one hill that we're all willing to die on? What is the one thing that gets us up every single day on our worst day, the day when I don't want to go to work, that you know everything tells me I just want to stay home? What's going to get me out of bed and into work, work and not just into work, but passionate about the pursuit of something? And it's got to be that one hill that we've all decided we're going to die on. And that becomes the cultural badge of honor. And that's, that's where the tribal belonging begins to take root. Mm. And you know this as well as I do, Mark. If you want to see the best in human beings, put them through adversity and watch how they come together to achieve something extraordinary. And, you, you, you know, as, if you're going to have an organization where sustained effort is the order of the day and sustained commitment and loyalty to a cause, that's what you got to do. You got to build that emotional connection between what I do every single day and the hill we're all looking to take. Yeah. I love that. I love that. You end up with longer legs for bigger strides. Oh gosh, that's another one. I mean, you are full of them. Those, that's I'm full of something. That's yeah. <laughs> There's a, in eighth grade, I got cut from the basketball team and Kim Wilson was the coach. And first I was crushed and then I got mad. And then it was, I'm going to prove Kim Wilson wrong. Mm. he made a mistake mm -hmm. and uh i went to the best player at our school and i said how did you get so good and he, his name was kenny and he said i shoot two hours every day and i go to bob Herbert's basketball camp so i did that but what i learned from that experience was proving somebody wrong is a driving force in my life i need somebody i need an, an enemy if you will i need an adversary i need a foil mm. i I was spending some time with a district manager at a Walmart and he took me behind, you know, in the back of the store and he showed me a poster and it was kill Kmart and it showed a Kmart ship sinking into the ocean. That was their reason. They were going to crush Kmart. This was 25 years ago, but that was their big, hairy, audacious reason. That mm -hmm. was their emotionalized. They, and I think we're, as a country, we're competitive, obviously. Uh, but sports, I think, bring out the best in us. And if you want to create a culture of competitiveness, you need to bring on board competitive people. I've helped companies hire employees, especially salespeople. Mm -hmm. And I always ask the same thing. Do you play sports? Oh, yeah. Soccer. Are you any good? Yeah, I was all state. Really? Did you play in college? Yeah. Uh, hire him. Any other questions? I mean, unless he's got a record, you know, hire the guy. I couldn't be, I couldn't be in agreement more. My, my youngest son is, um, I have three boys uh, ages from almost 40 down to 20. And my youngest son is a, he's a competitive wrestler, which if you know anything about that sport, it may be the single most physically and mentally demanding sport you can be in. It's exhausting. It is. It is. And um, I've learned the sport through him because I, I didn't wrestle. I wasn't a wrestler. Right. I support through him, and he's 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 at the university uh, uh, level now at, at a D one level, and I'm watching him, and I'm and I'm watching, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, if I'm hiring people, all things being equal, and maybe not even all things being equal, if, if I've got a highly competitive athlete applying for a position, I, I'm going to give them more consideration simply because here's what I know. I know that when, when the buzzer rings and it's, it's time to compete, they'll find a way. They may not, have, they may not be the most talented. They may not uh, be as good as uh, someone else, but they'll find a way. 
It, a lot those, work those are the people yeah. I want. Yeah, they will outwork everybody else. That's right. Yeah, you know, and, and same is true for music. If you see your first chair in the London Symphony, uh, but you're looking to, you know, to come to work at my organization, I'm probably going to hire you. I mean, music, sports, it doesn't matter. Whatever the discipline is, if you paid the price, uh, The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle, I mean, that book just blew me away. And he talks about what matters is the grind. What matters is 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 the tenacity, the persistence, the continuous effort, right? Mm. It's, it's all about the grind. And yes, it's it's 10 years or 10,000 hours. It's going to take that to, to attain mastery in whatever discipline. But it, it's, I used to, I used to, like you, I had three boys, right? And I coached basketball for years. And I used to tell the kids, your future's so bright, it burns my eyes. You're going to go so much farther than I ever did in school, sports, and business. But I'm constantly amazed at how stupid I was two years ago. And, uh, and now what I say is what I love is your passionate and your passion and your effort. Mm. You just never quit. I love the fact that you go the extra mile. You show up early and you stay late. And that's what I want to reward in my grandkids. Mm. Right. Is, is that, that mindset of I'm going to show up early and stay late. Mm. I'm going to, I'm going to love the grind. Cause that's where, that's where it all, that's where it's all learned in the grind. Well, and Mark, you know, there's, there's additional wisdom in that. And uh, it just hit me while, while, while you were unpacking that. And if you, if you talk about people and where they're going to go and you, you, your, your idea is to inspire them. I like what you said, you know, your future is so bright and, and what you were inadvertently doing there. And now you've kind of shifted. It sounds like is you were basically attaching their self-worth to an outcome rather than, uh, in, in the grind. And you're right. I just, I just told my youngest son, uh, he called me the other day. He didn't do well on an exam that he wanted to do. He got a C and he just really felt like he did, could have done better. And I, I just asked him two questions. I said, how, how much did you prepare? And he said, I, I really worked hard. He said, that's why I'm so disappointed. And I said, well, look, um, you, you should be, you should not be disappointed. You, you, you know, you get disappointed when you know you could have done something different and didn't I said you did everything you could and you didn't quite get the outcome you wanted but if you keep doing that the outcome is a byproduct right and 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 that's what it sounds like what you're what you're referring to there yeah no question and <laughs> when when I first started in sales I did something really smart I took the, a guy who had been the national sales manager of the year at Xerox mm. and I took him to lunch and I his name was Les and I said Les you know, what advice would you offer somebody who's new? And he said, if your boss says do two proposals a week, you do four. And I said, okay, is that that's it? He said, that's all you need to know. Everything you're going to need to learn, you'll learn in the next six months. Nobody expects you to do anything. And if you double your activity, you'll accelerate the learning. So I did five, not four. Hmm. When, when I interviewed Swen Nader, John Wooden told him to shoot 300, uh, 100 hook shots with his left hand and 100 hook shots with his right hand every day all summer. So Swen shot 300. And that's all you need to know about Swen Nader. He was the only uh, big man to ever be drafted in the first round of the NBA and never start a college game. Because he played behind Bill Walton. Yeah. Who was the best center. Small obstacle. Yeah. But, but those were the two best centers in the league. They just happened to be on the same team. Yeah. But the lesson there is 
It's about the grind. It's about the activity. It's learning to love the grind. And, you know, I, I sent my son to work out with John Lucas when he, when he got to college, he was a five in high school and he was a two in college. And after one day with John Lucas, he called and said, dad, I've just been screwing around. This is real work. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, that's why John was in the NBA. I mean, you know, most people have no idea. They think, oh, just because the guy's, you know, seven foot tall. No, it's the work ethic. It's the grind. It's the pain and price in advance. You know, and if, if you bring this back for full circle, I'm just thinking out loud here, Mark, because you, you're, you're really, really good at stimulating thought. And I'm sure you've been told that before, but my mind is racing just listening to you, and I love it. And, and, and as you're talking about, hey, you got to embrace the grind, and it's all about the grind. Um, that, that really is the purpose of culture. People will grind. They will commit. They will do the work as long as they feel the purpose within that work and the tribal belonging of those around them. And you, you, maybe I should have talked to you before I actually finished this book because I would have loved to actually talk about that angle because you're so right. What, what, how, how, what, what environment do I need to be involved in that's going to accelerate or, or accentuate me embracing that grind necessary to just outperform everyone else. Right. Well, we'll just have to write a book together and then we'll there solve the problem. I, well, okay. Uh, I've got it on tape now. You offer. <laughs> it's proof. So speaking of books, so you, you told me the story about your son saying he felt bad when he was a little kid because he felt weird. And tell, tell us that story. And, and yes. how you came to write the book. Yeah. So, you know, my latest book is, is a business book about culture and it was motivated for a lot of some of the emotional reasons that my first book I've only written two. I'm not a big author like you. I think you've written what 800 or something, but um, <laughs> I, I, the first one I wrote was, it was entitled be weird. And you and I talked about this. It, I, I had no idea about how books sold, how they were promoted. And I really didn't care. Uh, I, I came home one day and my my middle son was um, really not in the best frame of mind. And, and I, I go in his room, his body language is defeated. And, and I sit down beside him on his bed and I said, son, what, you know, what's going on? He said, I, I, dad, he said, I just don't fit in. And he said, I, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't seem like anybody can relate to me. And he said, everyone just tells me how weird I am. And and then he said the thing that just tore my heart open. He said, I hate myself for being weird. Mm. Whoa, 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 hold on. We're going to get to the bottom of this. And so that, that was the journey. And we said, I, I said, we're going to find out what weird is and what it's all about. And, and we're going to get to the bottom of this. And here's an interesting thing. So the first thing we did is we said, okay, where did the word weird come from? And what was its original meaning? And why do we use it the way we use it? Here's what's fun. The word weird originated from the old English language, W-Y-R-D. You might remember it from Shakespeare, the, the three weird sisters. But the word W-Y-R-D, weird, when it was used, meant that you had the, people felt like you had the power to control destiny. When they called you weird, they were actually somewhat fearful of you because you were you had this awesome power to control destiny. You were this visionary. <laughs> yeah. And so we got a hold of that. And we said, 
and and so the, the the that book was about authenticity. It was about being who you were created to be and having the ripple effect you were meant to have, and that you're just beautiful and wonderful in your weirdness, and you might as well embrace it and be it. And nothing fantastic or great ever came out of normal anyway. Yeah. And besides that, I'm the kind of guy I'd like to spend the rest of my life with. <laughs> I like being me. And, you know, everybody's always glad to see me. Someone I arrive and someone I leave. <laughs> and I really don't care, you know. And so it took me years to get to that place. And kids have such a tough time in school because fitting in is all that matters. It's the only thing they care about. Oh, and go back to what we talked about earlier. Is it safe? Do I belong? And do I have a future? And those three questions everybody asks in organizations, you know, and, uh, you, and it's interesting, Mark, that you bring that up because that kind of segues into isn't isn't the best culture. One that allows people to contribute within their weirdness and embraces that weirdness to contribute from a position that no one else could, because your optic is different than mine is different than someone else's. And. Um, that's why I hate this word empower. You know, the, the, the big buzzword in business today and among the leadership circles is I empower my people. Listen, I, here's what I try to teach leaders. Your people walked in the door with power. It's their weirdness. They're powerful. They were created powerful. They're gifted and, and they're unique. Your job isn't to give them power. Your job is to extract the brilliance that was already resides in them. Release that potential culture we want to build. Right. It's releasing. Yes. Well, think about think about the guy that in our generation that did that. He he flew a flag and he said, I want people who are pirates. Steve Jobs was the first one that made being weird cool. He even called him weird. Right. And he flew the Jolly Roger. And he attracted people who, who showed up early and stayed late. Mm -hmm. And he, he maybe more than any modern leader I can think of in the last 50 years, he did an extraordinary job selling the culture. And, and, and it's what's interesting is you knew the minute you walked in the door at Apple, that you were going to be asked to work crazy hours to be committed to almost impossible things. And it didn't matter. You wanted to be there anyway. Right. Ross Perot did the same thing in EDS. Uh, one of my guests and one of my long-term friends, Andrew Bennett, worked for Ross for years, uh, redesigned the compensation system. He won the speaking contest at EDS. I think there were 70,000 employees at the time. But he said Ross was Ross was uh, a character, you know. He, sh he showed up at a training. The facilitator wasn't there. He was, quote, running late. The door bursts open. Ross jumps up on the table and says, over-the-calf knee socks will be worn every damn day. And he pulled up his pant leg to show him the over-the-calf knee, and then he jumped off the table and left. But he introduced himself as the chairman, as Ross. He just, and then the facilitator came in and said, oh, I'm sorry, I had a flat tire. Did I miss anything? <laughs> he said, I oh, yeah, this guy jumped up on the table and said, over-the-calf knee socks. And he said, that's the first point we want to make today. By the way, that was our chairman, Ross. <laughs> Now, come on. I, it, if I work for that guy, I'd do anything. I'd run through a wall for that guy. I, I, 
and and here here's the reason and we're almost out of time but we'll keep going uh here's the reason the, the over the cap knee socks because when you cross your legs if your socks are too short your bare leg is exposed and if you look at your bare leg you're not listening to the prospect <laughs> that's the whole reason for the over the cap knee socks so to be a better listener oh my gosh mark you you gotta stop you're killing me. You're cracking me up. <laughs> you're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. And you're killing me, Smalls. One of the best, one of the best sports movies ever, wasn't it? <laughs> I, I'm a movie junkie. Don't get me started on that. Yeah, so yeah. before we run out of time, because we're almost there, and we, you know we're going to have to do this again. It's that simple. Gotcha. Uh, how does someone get a hold of one of your books? Number one. Uh, yeah. So probably the easiest way is Amazon. It's, um, it's available uh, either Kindle or paperback. And I think the hardcover for whatever reason has been delayed, but it's come, it's, it's, I think it's coming out this week and the audio vi version is coming out next week, but it's also, uh, it's also in books a million. And, um, I, I can't remember that. That's probably the, the, the best. Sure. Thing. So, and it's Greg, uh, Cagle, that's like bagel with a C. That it's, 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 is it's C A G L E. Got it. They go with a C. Yeah. And if somebody wanted to hire you as a coach or a consultant or a speaker, same thing, go to your website. Yeah. Just, yeah. I'll go to my website and see if you, and the first thing you'll see is I, the first statement I make is I'm not for everyone. <laughs> so it's, I, I'm authentically weird. Uh, but if you're, uh, if, if you like being challenged and you like um, really being stretched, I, I might be your guy. Sure. And I guess the last question is what's next for Greg? What's uh, in the next five or 10 years? What do you, what do you want to be doing? I, you know, I met this new guy named Mark and I want to get to know him. Cause I think I, I found a new hero. Uh, I, 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 God, I'd love to meet him. He sounds great. I, I, man, listen, I, our conversation earlier, it was crazy. Good. Mark. I think it was better than this. It was, it was, we should have recorded. It was better than this, but wow. I, uh, I want to do, I, I think I'm going to investigate a little bit more about what you do. I like what you do, but I think I'm you no know, in seriousness though. And I told you this when we talked earlier, I'm, I'm going to try to start a podcast. I, I like this kind of dialogue. And oh, it's great. It I had so much fun doing this. Yeah. And I get paid for it, but I did it. Uh, I'll do it whether I get paid or not. That doesn't matter. You said that. Last last question because we're going to run out of time. What yeah. advice would you offer leaders? Uh, quit 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 looking at the traditional ways of evaluating your business and start understanding that um, you, you got to execute strategy, navigate adversity, and capture opportunity. And and it, all of the what's needed to do that has to be built into your culture. Focus on culture. It's the single biggest way to create the competitive advantage you're looking to build. Mm. you know i learned so much coaching basketball and one of the things we did was we went bowling and we went to dinner and we went to movies together and as the kids started to really make connections with each other we started winning mm -hmm. and they went the extra mile for each other and to your point culture matters it, you know that connection is it safe do i belong is there do i have a future mm-hmm and I, I call that what you just described. I call those tribal experiences. If you're not creating tribal experiences in your in your team and your organization, whatever it is you're leading, 
um, you're probably not getting the connection you need for a healthy culture. Right. Man, this was so much fun. It was. Thanks for uh, thanks for playing in my sandbox. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Mark. And I mean that really sincerely. What a blessing. I, I'm really glad I, I passed across. This has been great for me. I don't even know how we met, but I'm so glad we did. I am too. I am too. As a leader in advanced HVC technologies, Mitsubishi Electric is committed to continuous innovation around efficiency, comfort, and wellness. From electric cars to electric water heaters to electric heating and cooling, the future is electric. The demand for all of our electric heat pumps have never been greater, so there's no better time to join our community of premier contractors and grow your business. Here are some of the reasons why partnering with Mitsubishi Electric is a great idea. Mitsubishi is the number one selling heat pump in America and has been the industry leader for over 35 years. Mitsubishi offers local technical support and has a network of excellent distributors. Mitsubishi's regional sales and marketing teams are available to meet with you and help you grow your business. To find out more, contact MitsubishiComfort.com. Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or piqued your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454 or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association or order one of my books, simply go to my website, www.sparkingsuccess.net.